Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Hey friends, welcome to Working in Yoga, and also welcome to 2024. I love the new year. I love new year energy, new year goals, new year ideas, and typically I take time off at the end of the year to spend with my family, but also importantly to think. I like to think about what I'm planning to build for the upcoming year, where I want to set my attention, and what I want to include in my body of work that I leave for this world. Last year, I committed around this time to this podcast as part of my body of work, and what do you know, in the last 12 months, there have been so many more followers, subscribers, and listeners. So I just wanted to pause and say thank you all for being here on this journey with me. I really love creating this podcast for you and allowing myself to dive into ideas and follow threads of thought with fellow yoga professionals. So my offering for the first podcast of the new year is a special one a conversation with the one and only Michelle Cassandra Johnson. She, like me, seems to spend a lot of time thinking about and pondering bigger picture questions and ideas, and she and I discuss so many things that will help guide you into a bright and vibrant 2024. As usual, before we start, though, I would be so grateful if you would hit the subscribe button if you haven't already, and if you are so moved to drop a review or rating for the podcast, if your streaming service allows it, I would be eternally grateful. That really helps others find our conversations around the water cooler so that we can connect and chat together. Also, starting next week, I am diving into the idea of perfectionism in the yoga space. I have long felt that there is something to this idea of being perfect as a yoga practitioner and teacher, and I want to unpack that idea. I got to ask some seriously amazing minds about this question. Coming up, we have Dr. Sham Ranganathan, Colin Hall, Daniel Simpson, Ann Swanson, Tristan Katz, and Sheila Chong all join me on this journey of being the quote-unquote perfect yoga teacher. And we talk about what parts are serving us and what parts we need to throw away. This is one of two long series that I'm planning for the year. The second is on our teacher training programs, and that will happen starting this summer. But I'm also diving into smaller forum subjects like travel and tourism this year and talking to some folks who are in charge of and involved with the travel and tourism side of our business, which we don't talk about a lot, but also generates a lot of revenue for us. But first... Before we begin all of our discussions about travel and perfectionism, let's start off 2024 with a lovely conversation with author Michelle Cassandra Johnson. 
Hey friends, welcome to Working in Yoga. I have a very special guest on the podcast this week, and I'm kind of fangirling out. I just have to, you can probably hear it in my voice. <laughs> but I have Michelle C. Johnson on the podcast today. Michelle, will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yeah, thanks for inviting me to be on the podcast. It is so funny to me uh, when people say they're fangirling or, or like a big fan <laughs> of mine. Um, and I know it's because I've put things out in the world and, and do work in the world with people in community. And it's just funny to me, um, sort of like when people I'm, I'm teaching and people take notes. I mean, I've sat in spaces and taken notes many, many times, but it's like funny to watch it. Or when someone's like, can you sign my book? I'm like, yes, I will totally do it. And also, <laughs> so all that to say, I'm very happy to be here and just, I'm leaning into that. It's just funny to me, but it's part of the experience of being a teacher and putting oneself out there, which is yeah. part of what I do. So yeah. my name is Michelle. My pronouns are she and her, and I live on the ancestral land of the Catawba, the Cherwa, the Tutelo, the Saponi, the Okanichi, and many other tribes in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, as I just mentioned, I am a teacher, a spiritual teacher, a spiritual practitioner, um, mainly of the, the path of yoga, but I am also um, engaged in some shamanic practices and have been studying with um, teachers from different shamanic lineages over the past few years. So that is coming into my practice more and more, which doesn't feel like it is separate from my practice of yoga or my yoga teachings. Um, I am an author and have written five books and the fifth comes out in June, uh, which I'm very excited about it, it coming out into the world and being a contribution to the path of yoga. Um, and I've been a dismantling racism and racial equity educator for 25 years and um, do a lot of that transformative work and practice of dismantling oppression and toxicity within systems and institutions and within community. Um, I, I work in institutions and organizations and um, some of those are focused on wellness and yoga and some are not as explicitly focused on wellness and yoga. So I guide those, those transformative processes um, to, uh, unlearn and learn and create new ways of being, I would say. And um, I also um, do a fair amount of work around grief and in particular cultural trauma and collective grief and what um, we are moving through as a collective and how we are caring for ourselves and how we can engage spiritual practice to um, tend our hearts and tend one another. Um, and you know, the through line in my work, um, one is certainly about healing collectively. Uh, and I would say the other is about um, uncovering um, or unearthing or uplifting things that at times we've been conditioned to turn away from. And I feel pretty comfortable in the murkiness and in the, what some people call shadow which I actually think is just part of being human and alive and awake. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I, and I'm, I feel really comfortable in the mystery of things and the unknown and, and with uncertainty and grief feels connected to that. And this moment we're moving through right now feels connected to that. And um, just the chaos that is present um, in the world. And so 
I would say I'm, I'm a steward for that, um, um, building our capacity to be with the chaos and to figure out how we want to be of service in the face of chaos. Mm. Wow. I love your work. <laughs> I, you. I, I really want to pull on the grief thread just briefly. Grief has been something I've actually talked about on this podcast several times over the last year. I feel like collectively as an industry, we've experienced some grief and shift and change through what happened through COVID. Um, and grief is something that I think we don't often discuss in the yoga and wellness space where things are often perceived to be very happy and pretty and shiny and in pale colors and and everything is clean and pristine but talk to me a little bit more about yoga and your work with grief mm -hmm. yeah um i love this question um because i think you're right that um, sometimes what is presented through this lens of of wellness and yoga, and particularly the industry of wellness and yoga, which I, I talk about all the time, feels different than the practice to me of yoga and what I'm invited into. There can be a, a desire to um, bypass, I would say, grief and and anything that that feels uncomfortable, um, or that might ask us to change, which. In fact, the path is about transformation and change, <laughs> yes. or that might ask us to look at and interrogate our samskaras, our tendencies, our patterns, and and connected to that, the reasons why we suffer, um, which are, are the kleshas, which is what my next book is about that comes out in June. And so I think it's um, it's interesting to me, and I'm, I'm so curious about it when we're engaged in a spiritual path that presents so many absolute truths about our interconnectedness and oneness. And yet we're humans having an experience where that's not the reality mm -hmm. and that we're engaged with this path that is asking us to look deeply at our conditioning and how we've been shaped and the layers of self to get to the truth of who we are. Um, and in fact, provides all the tools to get to the truth of who we are or to work toward that. And that that's the pathway to enlightenment. And there's no way to get to the truth, you know, if we if we choose to bypass or only focus on the things that make us feel good, um, or the things that we we might label as liking or right that these things that um, we want to connect to, so we don't have to feel the suffering and the pain, or even explore what that is and how that's showing up. And I think that's embedded in a Westernized um, version of yoga because of many things. I don't think it's just within this industry of yoga, like the, the culture of bypassing, a culture of politeness, a culture of only being able to tolerate um, the, po the positive, I'm putting this in quotes things, right? As if being a human is just about feeling the, the things we label as positive. That's not been my human experience. And I don't actually think it's anyone else's. I feel like most people go through challenging times, whether or not they acknowledge them. And most people, and I would say all of us grieve or experience loss, even if we're not attending to our grief. Yeah. So that's the first part of this of like, there's a there's a an incentivization within culture dominant culture, which has influenced the industry of yoga 
um, for us not to turn toward the shadow or turn toward grief or really turn toward what it means to be a human who is going to lose ultimately everything we have. That's yeah. And the pathway of yoga is like, lose the things you have so you can be liberated. Ooh, I felt that in my bones there, Michelle. Right? Yeah, yes. I mean, it's just, I don't feel comfortable that I'm going to lose everything. And it's the reality. It's, and in fact, this incarnation of self, it's the reality. I'm going to leave this yeah. place at some point. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying I've like figured out all of the coping strategies to be with that truth. And at times I have resistance to that. And that's just the truth. And yoga is like such a, a balm or a salve for me in response to that because it it is teaching me how to be with the temporary nature of things while also contemplating how do I show up and be of service, right? While also asking me to remember the divinity that is inherent within me and all beings. It's asking me to do all of these things. Um, and so specifically what I'll say about practice and grief is that Grief, as I named, is part of um, loss, is part of the human experience. And grief, often that's our response to loss, what be that individual or the collective loss that's just like in the air right now, everywhere, yes. given all that's happening on the planet yes. at this time and to the planet, I will say. And um, I find that having a practice um, be that meditation or pranayama or an asana practice or asking how it can be of service or a self-reflection practice or contemplating what actions I can take in the world to live into this truth that I am a divine being and all beings are divine, right? Um, having a practice can help me respond to grief, to brokenheartedness, to um, the uncomfortable the the discomfort that arises when I begin to interrogate how I'm implicated in systems of harm and systems of oppression um, and having a practice can support us in just like living this worldly life because it's not easy due to the suffering that we experience and the suffering that we cultivate and the suffering that comes from I would say trauma um, and the way we replicate that not only individually or interpersonally, but collectively. So I think about practice as like the medicine, um, be that yoga or a different spiritual practice, but practice as the, the medicine that can help us um, work with our grief um, and all the different layers of it. I have a nuanced question here, and this is something that's been in my brain for a while because I'm very aware that so many of us shifted into this yoga space because of an original trauma, grief, or loss. Oftentimes we, we were here in the beginning, we found our practice to help deal with that trauma, grief, or loss. What I find to be tricky in discussion is that oftentimes, so we come, we start our practice, the practice helps and supports us. And we're like, this is amazing. But what, it, what we often forget is that that isn't the finite end of our trauma, grief, or loss. We experience it again and again and again, as you said, over our lives. And it's not that it makes us immune to these experiences. In my experience, as the, what the practice has done is given me tools to weather that storm in the best way that I can. And I'm curious if you see that too, because I often see the path stopping after that initial, you know, 
I had a challenging childhood and so I'm here at yoga because I want to move my body and I want to move through this grief of a past experience. And then we have a new trauma, grief or loss, as you said, collective grief and losses in the air. You can feel it. You can feel, I can feel it on my skin. I feel it on my skin every day. Um, How does your practice evolve and change to meet these new challenges that we see all the time? Mm -hmm. This is a great question. um, And it speaks to, um, as you named the way many people, not everyone, certainly, but many people might enter the practice or they're drawn to a practice because they feel lost. Yeah. right or they're seeking a spiritual home or they feel ungrounded or there was a specific there's a specific trauma or many they're responding to and they come to this path to help them right and to support them um which is important i don't want to discount that in any way and what i'll say happened for me is the same thing happened i came to the path in response to a trauma a very specific trauma and was feeling lost and ungrounded And if I'd stayed in that place of um, really thinking about the practice is just medicine for me and just for this specific trauma, I'm going to say for me, I'm not saying for anybody else, that would have been this egoic place for me, right? As as if I'm, this is, this practice is just about me and it's responding and caring for me. It's not about the person next to me and what their trauma might be. It's not about the planet, right? Um, it's not about the teachings the teacher may be offering, right? Like it's, it's not expansive when in fact the path is so expansive. And so I just want to, I'm, I'm saying for me, because I, I don't, I don't want to assume people's paths, but I would say for me, it would be a very individualized way to look at the practice and the path, um, to, to stay in that place of it's healing me instead of asking, what is the healing capacity of this practice for the collective? Right. And, oh, I I have this trauma going on. Wait, other people around me are experiencing that. Wait, the the planet is experiencing this and I'm, I am causing trauma to the planet. Right. Wait, I'm wrapped up in an ancestry or a lineage that has caused trauma or is trying to heal from trauma or both. Mm -hmm. I think the path can illuminate that for us as it asks us to get back to the true nature of who we are, which we could call pure consciousness, Purusha. Um, we could call interconnectedness, we could call light, right? But it's not my individual light, right? It's the collective light or collective consciousness, yeah. whatever language or, or our collective capacity to love and put love into action. This is another way people talk about the true nature or the fact that we are nature. So it is, your question is nuanced. And I think there's an invitation for people to um, uh, think about their conditioning around I'm an individual um, and I'm in isolation. It doesn't matter what's happening for other people, which culture, dominant culture teaches us this. And then yoga, the industry can mirror that for us because it's about our personal path and our power and get empowered. You know, it's like, wait a minute, we're part of a collective. We're part of a Soma. We're part of a larger system. What's going on in the larger system that matches what's happening for me or that's different. And I'm going to be curious about that. So there's an invitation, I think, time and time again from this path um, to think about connection to all things um, and the flow of all things, um, which then invites us into relationship to all things. Um, so that's how I would answer that that question to move beyond the like what 
what brought me here and the healing for me and to open to something bigger. Yeah. One thing I admire about your work is that you always seem to be right at the pulse of what people need. I mean, I, I, when Skill in Action came out, you could not have been exactly meeting the needs of the culture and humanness right at that moment. And what you've said makes me think that your next book is there too, actually. I was like, dang, how'd you do that? Because there is this moment, right? So we come to the practice with this experience, this trauma, this reason to, to invite and explore and heal for ourselves. And it is such a human response to want to hold on to that feeling of goodness, like, and to fight for it, to fight for that feeling of safety and security and, oh, I've healed and, oh, I've done my work. Of course, of course, we're doing human things. But when you dive into the Klesias, you go, oh, hey, wait a second, that is actually a source of suffering for us. So I see here again, you've offered us a new offering for 2024 that is really quite the reflection of what we need. What are we averse to? What are we holding on to too tightly? Like those experiences, I think so often we're not thinking are causing us suffering. And really, and truly they are. I, I'm curious, I'm suspecting you see the same thing, but I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, I love this. And I, um, it's so interesting, your reflection about witnessing me and, and my work and what I've, you know, created and the timing of when it comes out. And because I've thought about this too. And, um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I think it's, it is right on the, the edge and it, and is it too soon? I have this sometimes, yeah. I don't have that as much right now or anymore, actually, I would say I, I I very much trust the timing um, and that things will just, they'll move through. I don't always know when I'm creating them that it's going to be the right time. And then it's like in reflection, oh, that was, that was right on time, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting to have someone else reflect that back and just, you know, how you've thought about it. And I'm so excited about um, my next book. Um, it is uh, titled Illuminating Our True Nature yogic practices for individual and collective healing. So it's exactly what we're talking about. And I do feel like it's um, it's so connected to my other books and, and my other bodies of work. And it is specifically about the clashes, the um, five reasons why we suffer, um, which you named some about attachment and clinging and aversion and um, the first klesha of Vidya, which is sometimes translated as the belief that we're separate. So separation and a lack of clear sight or knowledge or wisdom, right? And the illusion is, is connected to this lack of clear sight. Something's in the way of us being able to really see or sense or feel the truth of what is happening. Um, and then there's a cliche about um, ego and attachment to ego and identities. Um, and, you know, this is true for many things. Like, in, in fact, the yamas and niyamas felt similarly when I, I had worked with them. They'd been taught to me. And then there was a moment where I was like, these are about justice. Like, this is the, this is the, you know, these are the ways, right, mm -hmm. for us. These are the things that we need to practice to put conditions into place for liberation. Well, the cliches, I have 
people have taught me about them for years. I've studied them. And then there was a moment where it was like, this is about what's happening right now. It's another lens um, mm. we can engage to better understand what's happening on a collective scale, certainly for us individually and on a collective. The clashes are another lens we can engage to better understand why we're suffering. And um, to, you know, if I think about the first Klesha of Vidya, in particular, I think the spiritual crisis we are moving through at this time is because we believe we're separate. <laughs> and yeah, that's at the core yeah. of the core of the core, yes. right? And then everything yeah. emerges from that. And so, you know, this next book, I'm very excited about it because I think there are so many access points for people. I think it will land individually and collectively. There's an application of like, where does this show up in the collective? And it is full of practices for each klesha, um, mudras and mantras and an asana and a meditation um, and pranayama for people to really engage these tools and the eight limb path fully um, to begin to create some new samskaras and tendencies and ultimately to create new karma, right? An action and a consequence so that the consequences are not to cultivate more suffering, but in fact, that the, the consequences of our actions are to create more healing and clear sight and to dispel the, the myth that we're separate, right? And to um, remove the illusion. So that's a little bit about it. And the clashes, it does feel on time. That's what I'll say. I love that you said that, that I, this idea that our suffering is from this illusion that we are separate. I see that so clearly I mean, I just mostly I'm just saying thanks for validating my own personal <laughs> internal dialogue. <laughs> but but there is this point where I, I see it in so many different lenses, um, in so many different places. I see it within communities that I exist in. I see it within communities that I am not a part of. How this idea that we are all separate mm -hmm. and we're not separate and collective. I mean, we do have individual experiences within a collective action. It's actually why I love yoga classes, because mm -hmm. I can teach it. It's funny, because I was just teaching this in a group yoga class the other day, I was like, you're having an individual experience, your hip feels different than her hip from feels different from their hip. But also, I can tell us all to breathe together and co regulate. And all of a sudden, we're having this collective experience as well. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a both and it is it is all of those things. I just love that. I'm very excited to read your book now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so excited about it being out and it feels like just I mean, the practices, there's so many in it and like a thousand journaling prompts like every book I've written and love it. Yeah, self study for people. So I, I really want people to use it as a tool. Right. And you know, it's not really a workbook, but part workbook and not really a manual, but part manual, you know, but lots yeah. of content and story in there too, from stories from like, I'm attached to this, this thing, right. At watching trash TV at night, which is something that I do. Right. And, <laughs> and I don't really love to like the violence and the patterns of oppression that we see in the world. So yeah. there's a vast array of, um, you know, explanation around the clashes and how they show up so people can see the relationship between the individual and the collective and yeah. these larger systemic ways we suffer yeah that micro and macro experience yeah. that we're having 
every day, all the time. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this, because this is something that when I'm teaching this on, because I do believe that the yoga tradition asks us to be teaching on both of those levels on this. What can I do in the micro? And what am I doing in this collective experience as well? And somebody says to you, Michelle, I feel so overwhelmed because there's so much. It's so giant and vast. How am I ever going to get on this path? What would you say to somebody? Because I, th I think we still, even as teachers and professionals, have that experience over and over and over again. Yeah. And people ask me this question all the time um, yeah. in every session, training, immersion. I just assume there's overwhelm. And then ultimately someone or a few people will ask, what do I do, right? It's too much. And um, there are two things I'll say here. One is that because I'm, a, I'm thinking of someone who asked me this and, and specifically asked, um, how do you know if your practice is working? Which I think is a way, this person was quite overwhelmed at the time and was like, I don't even know if it's working and what's going, look at what's happening in the world, you know? And I feel like it's a way of saying I'm overwhelmed and, and I don't know where to begin. It was just a different form. And I said, I don't know if my practice is working, but it's the thing that I have, right? It's like yeah. what I'm going to show up for, or it's going to show up for me. And I, and I trust in that, right? That something will will um, result will come from that space um, but that was my very authentic answer to that person who was I feel like in a moment of desperation in response to the patterns of violence and oppression they are working directly with in the world given the, their yes. profession and that they're sensitive to and feeling into and the other thing that I'll share about this overwhelm is often what I say to people is we we cannot respond to everything that is going on right and the path is not just like the, the hour long asana class. It's a way of living. So you're going to journey on this path forever. If you commit to this path and you're devoted and your practice may look different on this path and we can't hold it all. We can't respond to it all. And perhaps I can hold something that someone else can't hold. And perhaps they can hold something that I cannot hold, right? There's these waves of experience that happen in our lives, given what's going on in our response to it. And so, you know, the overwhelm feels like it's part of what's in the air. If we think about the collective and collective trauma and grief, it's just part of what, and suffering, it's part of what's in chaos, it's part of what's present. And we can't respond to it, to all of it. And so can we acknowledge that? Um, and deal with the heartbreak that comes from that. And can we get clear about what we can respond to? And can we engage this path yeah. to, to be of service in the way that we can be of service? Um, knowing there's a lot more. And for me, trusting, I trust other people are doing, I mean, there's a lot of mess going on. And also I'm in relationship with so many people who are on this path, who are, who are, um, contemplating all the time, how can I be of service and what is my role and what is my part? I think that's what the path and practice helps us do and to stay accountable to um, living into that role and that part we can play. I am going to pull on another thread here, this idea of accountability, because there is tension that I feel we feel to be responding constantly all the time, always to everything that is in the world. And because we live in a world that's instant, oftentimes we expect response to feel instant. And we're often, even within the yoga space, I think we often don't give people the grace to pause and just reflect 
before response, I'll say to people all the time, like, first of all, I don't need to prove to people on the internet that I'm a good person. I, and second of all, sometimes my voice isn't needed. Sometimes what I need is to think, to pause and reflect. And I'm curious, do you feel that way? Do you feel like you as a person with a following who has written books, if people look to you, do you feel like you need to respond to things all the time, always? Sometimes I feel um, it's mixed. Sometimes I feel as if I need to respond given that I'm public, that I use my voice, that I'm out there, that I have a platform um, and that people, I'm not saying this from an egoic place, but that people look to me for, I'm a teacher. People look to me for some sort of response. Um, And um, I think for me, I practice discernment because, and it sounds like you do too, and what you shared Um, I'm mindful and um, response feels different than, than responsiveness feels different than reactivity for me. And so I, it can take me a while. I'm sensitive to and aware of and can feel the chaos almost all of the time that's going on, that has gone on, that probably will continue to persist. I'm not always verbalizing that or writing about it. Um, or being public about it because it can take me a minute for me to integrate and sort of understand what do I want to say about this? How do I feel about it? Do I need to say anything about it? Even if people are waiting for me to say something, do I need to care for myself because my nervous system is overwhelmed, right? I go through that process a lot. And so it can take me a week to respond to something that's happened to, or to figure out it's not that I'm a perfectionist, I'm not, or that I need to like figure out the right language. It's more, is, is this needed now is the question for me. Um, And and I don't, I don't respond well to people expecting me to show up in a, a, a particular way, like the way that they are or to say the thing they are. I mean, yeah. that's my personality. I'm also an Aquarius moon in my astrology. I think that's the like, don't, I'm like my own being, <laughs> even though I'm in yeah. deep relationship to all beings, right? Like I'm like, I'll, I have my way I'll figure it out and, yeah. and I'll say something and then I might say something else and it may look different. And that's just who we are. I think as humans, but sometimes when people are like, you, you teach yoga, they don't understand I work with grief or you're a dismantling racism trainer. They don't understand yeah. that I have deep contemplative practices, right? It's like they yeah. don't get the web of, of work and the healing that is the through line for that. And so there's this way that I think we can get boxed in that doesn't really align or fit me or any of us, I would say. Um, and sometimes that can go into like, do I want to respond now? And am I re- responding from my authentic voice or am I responding because someone wants me to say this thing, right? Sometimes I'm pretty good at not responding because someone wants me to say a thing. Um, And sometimes there's a discernment process around that. Um, So yeah, I mean, I do feel the pressure, but I, I'm also like a human on the path trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Yeah. You know, like anyone else who's like, I don't know what to say. I'm like that too even though I have a voice and it can take me a minute to be like, this is the thing I want to say or share or add. Yeah. I I think it's important to hear from people with a platform that 
we also sometimes don't know what to say or we also feel like our voice isn't needed in this moment like just because we've lent our voice to other causes or issues or challenges doesn't mean that we are knowledgeable about or need to speak about everything all the time always because I, I don't know how you feel, but I'm so very conscious of noise in general, which would be me as a person. Like I crave winter time when the snow just dampens the noise and you can feel the quiet. And so with spaces like social media that are very noisy often overwhelm me. Mm-hmm. And I just can't, I, I have no interest in adding to the noise. What in that moment, I, I have no interest in, in, Mm-hmm. I, I don't see the collective action that happens within the noise. Do you want me to show up at a place where we can have collective action and you would like me to, you know, organize my people? Absolutely. I will be be there because then the noise becomes a voice. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes I feel like there is an expectation, especially in the world now where things are so challenging for so many people that we must respond to every issue all the time, always. You don't. <laughs> yeah. I feel that too. And I, and I also think it's, it, it like trips up my mind when I'm like on social media, looking at the horrific things that are happening. And then there's an ad for holiday socks. And then there's an <laughs> ad for yeah. go on this, whatever, and then buy this. And here's this outfit. It's like, my mind does not know what to do with that at time, you know, it's kind of jarring yeah. for my yeah. nervous system, just that. And there's dissonance there for me. And that feel I, I'm saying this because that feels like the noise too. Yes. It's, it's part of the chaos. It's like, what in the world is going on? I'm looking on a phone to do it. You know, it's like, yeah, I just go through this time looking at this little computer and these things are happening and I need to speak about this thing. It's like, so I'm just saying that if anyone else is feeling that way, um, it's part of being human. You know, I am buying holiday gifts for people and I'm responding out about issues and unrest that's happening. It is part of what's happening, but something about, because I remember a time when social media did not exist. Um, Same. I'm 45. Same. And we were like still organizing and talking about the things and showing up and like doing trainings and transformative work. It was all happening. It It was was happening people. Um, it feels so different. The nature of the noise feels different to me now with the, with social media and the, like the rate at which we receive information and how we receive it. And also thinking about yoga and the way the mind turns and what has happened to the pathways in the mind and the way our minds turn in response to the, the technology and, and just how it adds to the noise at times. So just saying that, that can, that can confuse me too about what do I say? Like, do I just speak? Should I just be silent now? You know? Yeah, I know. I know that that is my default as well. Cause I'm, I, I don't think I have to, I don't think my voice adds everything to every conversation. I don't think it has to. I don't think, I think it's unfair to expect that of yeah. strangers on the internet. First of all, people you've likely never met in real life, which is so weird. Yes. Like that's real. And, Yes, and 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 hidden often behind the language of social justice. I feel like the language of social justice is often leveraged to actually create shame instead of to actually create change. And so I see that like like don't tell me you're holding some person accountable who you've never met 
and you won't talk to Uncle Bob over the dinner mm-hmm. table. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a whole thing. I hear that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's social media is, it can be deeply relational because there can be connection and resonance yes. and like people can find their people right that way. And it can be so just disconnected and not relational at all. Yeah. Um, can be both. Yeah. There's that suffering again, that idea that we want to crave the connection, but also we're averse to this other thing that happens over there. Like, isn't that it's really, you can slide the glaciers into all situations, everything, everything always. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me this. Okay. So this is going to come out as I told you on January 1st. So we are in a new year yet again. What do you do at this time of year to reset? I crave sort of that deep introspection that happens in the wintertime that happens with a new year. I love new years because I love this collective action that the whole world pauses. And for some reason, we've just decided we hit the reset button. Like how absurd is that, that every person on the planet, save a few, have just decided we just start over today. Mm -hmm. What do you do at this time of year? for your own personal practice? Um, Well, typically I take some time off um, from about mid-December this year, it will be until mid-January to have that quiet um, time and time to rest. And that uh, for me, I'm in North Carolina, it mirrors the season of winter and contraction that's happening. And I say that because spring feels different or summer feels like a time of expansion with what's growing and the flower, you know, that's why I'm using these terms. Um, And I really, I like the, I'm definitely a summer person, spring, summer person. Um, And I do like the winter for the quiet, the stillness that I and many others find. Um, And this question about the the reset, I mean, often I engage in some sort of ritual as I'm looking toward, often around the solstice, winter solstice, as I'm looking toward the next year and um, the, the beginning of a, a new season. And, you know, sometimes I, I do this a lot. I'm fairly structured and, and like goals, although I'm not attached to um, how they, how they end up taking shape and form um, because sometimes that's a windy road and and journey. Um, I do think about intentions for the next year um, and do some sort of ritual around that. Um, And not only for, you know, my, my work, which I think of as my practice, but for um, community, for relationships, for my relationship to the land and to nature for dreams that I have. I just allow this time to be a time of, of um, dreaming um, and intention setting. So that's some of what I do around this time of year. Tell us one offering you're excited to show up for in 2024, except I, we've talked about your book. Um, I will be pre-ordering it and I'm sure there will be many other people out there. What else do you have coming up for 2024 that you're excited to share? I'm excited about a newer body of work called Reclamation, which is about um, intuition and writing. And um, what's funny about this is two friends and colleagues, um, we were facilitating something and we were on a break 
and we were just talking in the Zoom and they were like, you, you should teach a writing workshop. And I was like, that's not really my jam. Like I write, but <laughs> yeah, that's not really what I do. And then I thought, I asked them a little more about it. And then I was like, Michelle, you can totally talk about intuition and oracles and um, connecting with story. <laughs> you, you can, you talk about these things all the time and, and you've written these books and you've been through your own process of embracing being an author and what that actually means and writer and, and developing a devotional relationship to writing. So this one workshop um, turned into another workshop, a part two at the request of the group. And then a series, which is coming up a six week series in February, it begins in February called Reclamation, um, where we'll go through a framework I've created focused on, um, it's called Reclamation because of, of so much that gets in the way of us believing we have a story to tell and reclaiming this part of ourselves. That's, that's why it's called that. Um, and we go through this, this four-part framework for now. I keep adding pieces to it. And in that series, there'll also be an opportunity to meet with um, someone else in the group who can be an accountability partner and to have a session with me individually at any point over the next year, which can be an Akashic reading, an intuitive healing reading focused on writing. It can be a self-publishing versus publish work with a publisher because I've done both whatever people need it to be. And then there's some other reclamation offerings like an online um, writing retreat in May and then an in-person retreat um, at Minla in upstate New York in the Catskills in September of 2024. So I'm super excited about this, this body of work. Wow. It also feels like it's a somewhere down there is a book, like this framework feels like a yeah. book to me too. Um, I just have to get there, um, but I'm so excited about it because it's fun. I love it when I'm teaching it. And, and I discovered it because some, two friends saw it in me, right. And said, do this. Uh, and mm. I was like, oh yeah, that aligns. How would I do it? I'm going to do it. And so it feels like I discovered a part of myself that I didn't know I would offer, you know? And so I'm, I'm very excited about that. My favorite thing about seeing you tell that story is that what I've learned through the years is that when you do one hard thing, hard things become more achievable over time. And just to hear you talk like this idea that, oh yeah, I can do that. I'll just figure it out. I'm going to break it down into a project. I also think people don't know that's how big things get done. That's how being on the path gets done. You do this hard thing that feels like I could never do it the first time and then you go oh well I did that hard thing how much harder could any of the rest of this be and I love that it just like flows from you like oh a friend saw this and he went I love it that's what I'm gonna do mm -hmm. that's <laughs> more people need to hear that is the process you do a hard thing and then you just keep doing hard things because you know you can do them it's true I love thank you for that and I love that that off you know you're offering around this because I think you're right um, about how people can think about this, especially if they, if they assume, oh, so-and-so has it all together because they're, it, because it looks like it, like yeah. it looks like now that I last year on new Year's sat and planned for the year. That's not how it happened. It happened a five minute <laughs> conversation where someone's like, Hey, I'll come to this workshop. You should lead it. And I was, and my personality, if it aligns, it's like, and it's a yes, yes, I can do that. You know, it's yeah. like, that's yeah. also how I'm kind of 
oriented anyway. Yeah. Um, I love that reminder because from the outside, people don't realize that's my, pro- that's the process, you know, that is yes. the, the way um, we, we dream things into being, that's the way through these, these small steps or someone seeing something in us and us being like, oh yeah, I see that in myself too. And trying it and seeing, does this feel good? And it felt great to lead it. And I was like more, well, they asked for more. Right. And I was like, yeah. okay, I can create yeah. space. I really like this. Um, so I love that reminder. Yeah. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. It was such a thrill to have you. And I really enjoyed our conversation. I wasn't sure where it was going to come up and we covered everything that I think we should have covered. So thank you. Thank you again for inviting me to be a guest on the podcast and for the work that you do and your practice and this conversation. Thank you so much, Michelle, for taking the time to talk with me. I loved our conversation so much. Here are our key takeaways. First, often in yoga and wellness, we shy away from grief and other uncomfortable topics. In this space, we should do more to carve out the opportunity for folks to feel uncomfortable because the reality is that we will one day all die and lose everything that we have. It is an important reminder that this work has that as a main tenet of yoga practice and to remind us not to shy away from it. Next, to quote Michelle, the spiritual crisis we're moving through in this moment is because we think that we're separate from one another. Using the kleshas can help us work through the suffering. Next, If you're feeling overwhelmed at the idea of shifting our work into experiencing both collective and individual experience, as Michelle said, I don't know if my practice is working, but it is what I have. And this has been true for me many times in my life and perhaps for you too. Taking a moment to shift your mindset from is it working to does it serve to support me might help change your perspective in a positive way. Next, getting clear of where we can be of service and what our role is to help guide us forward as we shift to be more in tune with the world is an important step that we can take in our practice. I got to ask Daniel Simpson, author of The Truth of Yoga, about this as well. And in a couple weeks, you'll hear that interview. And I think you're going to love what he has to say to you. Next, It sometimes takes a beat for anyone to figure out how to respond to heavy situations in the world. So if you feel called to, great, respond. But if you don't, it is okay to take a moment and pause, research, and figure out what you believe and then respond if you feel like it's necessary. And finally, take some time in this new year to pause and create an intention for 2024. I do this work for myself, as I said in my intro, and so does Michelle. It is worth taking a moment to pause, reflect, and get excited for the upcoming year. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Next week, we are starting that series on perfectionism in the yoga space, so stay tuned. And thank you, of course, to Sunlight Streams and Sunlight Apothecary, a tea and spice shop, for being sponsors of this podcast. Go check out their offerings at www.thesunlightexperience.com. I am so grateful that you joined me around the water cooler, my friends, and I will see you next week on our break time.